Kevin Smith directed and acted in his New Jersey Chronicles, Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, and the final chapter, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Through his work, Smith presents his own lens through which we may view the world. And although it is not always rose-colored, we learn by looking through it a new way to examine spirituality, sexuality, and human relationships. And now, let's give it up for Kevin Smith. Hey, everybody. Welcome to We Need to Talk About Kevin, uh, the only podcast where we poison our brains watching college talks. Um, I'm Ted. <laughs> uh, I'm Rose. This is Trevor. Uh, and today, special guest, she chugs on Twitter. She's a funny gal. Hi, this is Valerie. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome again, Valerie. Thanks. It's, it's so good to be back. Welcome back, returning champion, no, number one yeah. guest. Uh, Kurt True. Kurt has been knocked back down to number two, where he belongs. <laughs> Valerie is still our number one. We need to talk about Kevin uh, guest. Thank you. <laughs> the person we can convince to watch this awful shit most mm-hmm. often. The the most voluntary uh, participant in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> A good enough friend that if there's something truly mind melting that we yeah. couldn't subject any normal person to, <laughs> we go right to Valerie. Yeah. yeah. Which brings us to this week's uh, topic. The how long was this? Like three and a half hours? Three hours and 45 minutes. This was longer than the last one that we watched with Valerie. An evening with Kevin Smith. This is the original, the first (laughs) of his lecture series. Yeah. The hit. And I think this ended up being a, um, on on the one hand, much worse experience than I think I I went in expecting. Mm -hmm. But also much more interesting because this does feel like maybe one of the most vital uh, pieces of like Kevin lore that we have uh, seen in our run. Yeah, and I frankly felt like um, watching this uh, w- weighed against the Too Fat for Forty or other stuff where we've seen him talk more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- like th- I was struck by the fact this is clearly Kevin at the height of his power. Mm-hmm. Ooh, this yeah. was this was filmed in two thousand two. It's uh, for a series of college crowds. So this is the generation who's been primed, has gone through like high school or middle school, like growing up with these stupid Kevin films. And it's like later on in like Too Fat for 40, by then he's sort of honed down his fan base to this like uh, rabid sort of cult like. A group of uh, devotees who are there, they're like ride or die for Kevin. But this was back when he still had a uh, broad appeal with that age demographic. And these people, these college kids, just fucking love him. At, le- at yes. least at first. Insane. But by when we get into hour four, <laughs> they start to seem like a little bit tired. They're like visibly yeah. bored. Yeah. And a lot you can tell some people have left because a lot of people are like have their legs up on chairs yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. But they are so stoked to see Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh they are giving him so much for every joke <laughs> and he's really feeding off that energy in mm-hmm. a way that like we don't really see from him in contemporary appearances. Yeah. Like I I actually would say compared with what I'm used to seeing from Kevin, I was relatively impressed by how yeah. charming uh-huh. and funny he was able to be at yeah. first. Yeah. 
but his need to be incredibly long-winded and go on for hours and hours, it starts to really fade and really get tiresome. But at first, it, you can feel the energy of the crowd. Kevin's in a good mood. He's feeding off of it. Like, he's really... Like, you can see why he's so obsessed with going around speaking to crowds, because he was really having a great time yeah. in this, these early appearances. And the thing you can see within this documentary is they structure it really well because this is neither directed or edited by Kevin. Um, <laughs> so they start with all of the good yeah. shit, like the part early on where like some guy just got fired from his busing job to so he <laughs> could get there to watch Kevin speak. Uh, yeah. And he's like, yeah, let me uh, call your boss. I'll, I'll call your boss and try to get your job back. Doesn't work, but he tries. <laughs> there are some segues that don't make any sense, which is fine in this. So, like, how long would this thing have been if they included everything, if Kevin had made it? Well, Ted, this is cut from, like, three or four different appearances. Yeah. So, like, pr I think it's safe to assume he did like at least three hours at each of these yeah. shows mm -hmm. and they combined the, and you know, they probably covered a lot of the same ground. So they put together all of what they felt were like the funniest, best moments mm -hmm. into this thing is, is the impression yeah. I got. Yeah. That is something I was, I was a little bit confused on was like of the, of the timeline of this because it did seem to rely so much on like the audience energy and all that. And I was thinking a lot watching it, like, my God, this seems like three and a half hours. Are people really going to sit and listen to Kevin Smith talk for three and a half hours? <laughs> Is that what people are really doing with their night? And and I would, yeah, maybe we can look that up, but I would love to know how long people actually sat there for. Well, well, so that's the thing. I I feel like since it was edited together and and they actually cut cut back and forth between them. At first I was thinking it would be like, sort of like a tour style thing where you see yeah. some of one place mm -hmm. then some of another place but no they pretty much cut around in a way where it seems to be like keeping time with where he is in the show because yeah. all mm -hmm. of the stuff in the last like uh 90 minutes or so all feels like it's like he's going on a little long and the crowd is getting bored <laughs> regardless of which uh, school we're seeing at the time. So I feel like all of that stuff was pr probably was in the third hour of the respective uh, uh, Q and a. Mm -hmm. um, I really agree with you, Trev, that um, watching this, I did remember like I, I remembered part of why Kevin Smith does have the reputation he holds. Like there is, he does have a skill for storytelling. He is like controlling the audience in a good way. And I, I was really, uh, I think that's part of what was interesting to me was like at the same time that this was, uh, that this was a rage inducing documentary for me and extremely boring and painful. And I have so much to yell about. Um, at the same time, <laughs> it is far better um, overall than like, I don't know, pretty much any of the documentaries that we've watched. It's, it's much more like well put together and well yeah. paced out and all that. Um, but it, yeah, it just goes on for so long and there are just some things in it, which are like, uh, made me despise Kevin mm -hmm. even more than yes. I have. Yeah. I think that like, if you're that kind of person, like a high a college age person at that time, who is a Kevin Smith fan, this is like, the best oh, thing yeah. you could have gotten. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. 
what they were aiming for, they fucking mm-hmm. nailed. Even if I were in the right place at the right time, if I were a murder Brian or perhaps a young Matt Chrisman uh, watching this <laughs> at the time uh, and enjoying it, I still feel like after the second hour, once we got into the third part, because it's split mm. into three parts, yeah. uh, then I would start to feel like, okay, they could have cut some of this out mm-hmm. or like put it into deleted scenes or, or, or something. Like it didn't need to go on this long. Oh, but also I, I, I do have to push back on Rose just slightly here because I think a big part of what this illustrates, especially as it goes on, is that Kevin Smith has absolutely zero skill as a storyteller. <laughs> he is the world's worst raconteur. He, uh, w- what what feels, what works for me and feels a lot breezier and more entertaining in the beginning is when he's just engaging in banter mm-hmm. with yeah. the audience. Yeah. He's so much stronger there. Once he starts getting into actually telling his long-winded stories and throwing in so many unnecessary details, mm-hmm. it really shows how fundamentally shitty, terrible he is <laughs> at being a storyteller, which is really uh, dovetails with the problems in the writing in his movies. <laughs> yeah. And you see it, it in his inability to edit or censor himself. It comes out in his life as well as his work. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, 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 I will concede. Uh, I, I will concede that because thinking about it now, yeah, it's not as much that Kevin is uh, amazing at storytelling in this. It's more, um, for one thing, that he's at this like very specific cultural moment in his career, mm-hmm. uh, where he has this audience to really like, I don't know, to to banter with and to jive with, and it feels like I don't know, it's kind of a unique environment to it. And also, the more important part is that Kevin ended up having a bunch of funny stuff happen to him when everybody was trying to figure out like who he was going to be in Hollywood, mm-hmm. he ended up meeting a ton of people and there's some genuinely uh, funny anecdotes that come out from those, uh, those events, but yeah. they could mm-hmm. all be told as like two minute little, yes. yeah. little jokes and they get stretched out to half an hour. Yeah. Exactly. Which he has a couple rough, of good really five minute anecdotes yeah. that he stretches out by throwing in yeah. every possible minor detail, <laughs> no matter yeah. how unfunny, no matter how irrelevant to the point of the story it is. So by the time you get to like what would be a funny punchline to the story, it's just like, or in many cases, there is no, no punch funny punchline to the story and oh. it goes nowhere. Uh, something that happened a couple of times in this, um, one was definitely the S- Superman story, but a couple other parts. I definitely saw these when I was briefly a Kevin Smith fan in like middle mm-hmm. school. I like just as like cl- f- five minute clips on YouTube, which was probably what most people were Kevin Smith fans of like who were fans later on after this, how they found him. And and within that context, I think a lot of his stuff works. But yeah, when it's like not a YouTube video and it's like just the entire thing, it's like he doesn't... He, he goes on constantly in his podcasts and in his book and whatnot about how much he loves George Carlin. But the thing is, he <laughs> well, does not understand sense. how to write jokes. Absolutely he doesn't not. know how to yeah. structure storytelling. Well, yeah. And we might have talked about this on the last one that we did together, but 
having never even though he clearly wants to be a stand-up comedian mm -hmm. in a way he never had to go through the rigors of stand-up where nobody knows you and you have to learn how to like warm people up mm -hmm. in a little bit of time and you, you use like some economy with like the way you tell stories and stuff mm -hmm. he's playing to a crowd of people that already love him and are primed to have a good time <laughs> yeah. seeing him so there's no need for him to censor or edit anything there he can just go on and on say whatever he wants be his full authentic self without really thinking about uh what would make it more entertaining mm -hmm. I mean, this, the stories that you take away from this, I think we all probably took away the same kind of stuff. You know, mm -hmm. you have the Superman story with Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. um, you have the Prince story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, awful. Um, yeah. Uh, what what were what were the other big moments? I feel like I'm missing. The first time he had sex with his wife was yeah. the no, worst one. That was the worst that was one. By that far was by worst. far. That was so bad. See, that one though is different because there isn't a way that you can write that where it would be good. No, no, it's just that an awful one. Thing. Just cut it out. <laughs> so, all right, so, someone remind me because I think I might have missed the question. Was the question asking him about what his worst sexual experience was, or was it asking how he met his wife? Uh, I, I think it don't was worst know. sexual experience. Okay, because I, mm -hmm. I think I missed the question. So when he started telling the story, I thought it was like, oh, he's telling the story of how he met his wife, you know. And then when he starts getting into all the gross details of Jeez. having sex with her with his uh, dick that got all cut up by the yeah. zipper, yeah. and like, I don't think that happens. Like, what? <laughs> I don't Did know. Did they make zippers differently back then? I, I've never had. They that were issue. sharper back in my day. If you're not wearing underwear with like jeans, like that could happen, I think. Mm -hmm. But like, what? I don't. It's weird, but like, yeah, so at the time when he was getting into that, I was thinking like, whoa, 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 like, you didn't have to talk about all this shit, but then I think I realized afterwards the question actually was about his worst sexual experience. It just happened to be with his wife, so he had to tell their whole boring meeting story before yeah. he got to it. I just realized that's the opening bit of There's Something About Mary, which is also what he claims was cut oh. out of 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 mall rats with like the cheese yeah. in the hair which was also under something about mary so i think those two stories may not be true at all and he's he's just claiming that he came up with there's something about mary first <laughs> kevin loves to cool. claim that he was ripped off by people for really oh like my gosh. Uh, yeah. like simple shit that anybody could come up with mm -hmm. <laughs> can we in, uh, which he does which he does in this with tim burton mm -hmm. yeah i was gonna say can we focus in for a bit on this tim burton story because yeah. this is yeah, one yeah. of the most fascinating elements of it to me because i'd heard this story before and it felt very different listening to it this time. There's there's many layers of Kevin's psyche going on here. So for uh, for people at home, Kevin basically ended up uh, getting to write uh, a Superman script for like Tim Burton. So they had a little bit of a working relationship, and boy oh boy, they did not get along very well. And it was well, very very they funny. They didn't really ever work together because once Tim Burton came on the project, he was like, no, I'm good. I'm bringing in my own writers. And then <laughs> well, Kevin yeah, was done. Yeah. So it, it leads to this point. There's a, there's a lot to the story, obviously. Um, Kevin's script sounds awful. Um, but it leads to this point where Kevin is with a journalist and he um, 
you know, brings up, you know, just as a funny fact that uh, it seems to him like Tim Burton might have copied his ape Lincoln um, that he had in some comic or something like that. There's no fucking Mm -hmm. way Tim Burton read your Jay and Silent Bob comic book, you freak. So so here's the thing. He he talks about how the ending of Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes reflects his comic. And he says that, like, he doesn't think that Tim Burton ripped him off. But, you know. He clearly does. He clearly does. He tries to play it off like he was just joking to that interviewer. And then the interviewer made it look like he was serious. Yeah. And was like, no, I was saying tee hee. You didn't put in the tee hee. That like, what? was the worst part. Because yeah. he, says, he, he, says he says specifically that like he jokingly told him that, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, mad at Tim Burton and I'm thinking of suing him. And it, like, that's not a joke that people make. Mm-hmm. And you're a professional. This guy's a fucking journalist. Yeah. <laughs> and clearly that'll look sarcastic in print when you say yeah. you're considering pursuing legal action. Yeah, this isn't pro wrestling. <laughs> you don't do that to other directors. Yeah. So um, uh, the guy publishes it. Kevin acts like all shocked. Oh, no. And then Tim Burton actually does a surprisingly excellent uh, response where he just says, uh, um, anybody who knows me knows that I have never read a comic book and I certainly would never read anything written by Kevin Smith, which right. is just like, <laughs> oh my God, number one, he, sick burn and also totally professional, proper yeah. response in my opinion. <laughs> he fucking owned him. And also yeah. Tim Burton was the one that you can tell in context that he is clearly like joking mm-hmm. like he's yeah. razzing kevin because kevin it see, probably seemed to him was seriously accusing him of of stealing his stupid idea uh-huh. and for the planet of the apes movie which i which he i don't think tim burton even worked on the script i'm pretty sure that was just a for hire job mm-hmm. for him but regardless you know he has the perfect response where he's just like like i don't read comic books i'm not a fucking loser like you you know and 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 the way kevin smith is talking about this is though tim burton is the one who was really mad mm-hmm. and he's like oh yeah. oh i thought tim burton was cool with me but all of a sudden he's like i hate you kevin smith i want to kill you and it's like he didn't say that he said you're a dumb loser and he doesn't care about your comic book and to finish this story kevin leaves off with a particularly like you know petty bitchy little comment or uh or after he mentions the part where tim burton uh, says he doesn't read comic books kevin smith's like well yeah that explains batman (laughs) what a fucking idiot and then later on he like insults batman as well or he says that he doesn't think that's that great i'm like come on dude you love the batman yeah yeah he's and (laughs) he tries to play it off like he wasn't fucking obsessed with that movie as a kid in 1989 (laughs) when he's like yeah sure i mean the movie was everywhere it was huge back then like of course i saw it fuck you that was probably your favorite favorite yeah. movie you probably uh-huh. worshipped tim burton <laughs> and you were so hurt by the fact that he would say anything insulting to you personally that now you're like oh it wasn't even good yeah this guy doesn't even <laughs> read comic books that's why the movie's all weird and artsy mm-hmm. and it's not even it like tim burton was clearly inspired by the original batman uh tv show because uh-huh. the movie is like campy and silly and fun and that's what he's going for and kevin smith as we know from 
a future episode you haven't heard yet is a huge admirer of the fucking Batman TV show and considers Adam <laughs> West like a personal hero. So, and Tim yeah. Burton made a, a really fun homage to that show that you claim to love mm-hmm. so much. So you're so full of shit. Yeah. And something else that this brings up uh, is very early on into the uh, into whatever this is it's not a special it's like just videos but in this whole college thing um early on he brings up how he while do while waiting for his physical for jane slant bob strike back he runs into paul thomas anderson who was there getting a physical for uh punch trunk love and uh pta was very classy being like hey kevin how's it going uh what what movie you're making i'm making this movie sandler and just is on his way and he spends like five minutes talking about like wow how how classy a guy or or like i would have hit him with a chair if he said that about me and it's like this shows exactly (laughs) exactly that he's being exactly who he he expected paul thomas aronson to be to him yeah (laughs) After Kevin had a uh, online an online meltdown about how pretentious he thought Magnolia was, which I'm sure didn't matter to Paul Thomas Anderson even fucking remotely. <laughs> like if 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 he even heard about it, honestly, I mean PTA was fucking doing coke with Tarantino back then. He wasn't reading yeah. about online yeah. forum drama or any of that shit. But 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 even if he did know, he obviously doesn't care. And yeah, we we know from this from this uh, special, whatever it is, and from other evidence that Kevin is a jealous fucking freak <laughs> who accuses everybody of ripping him off and holds weird grudges against people forever that he tries to downplay like he's the one who's chill and they're the one that's mad when it's clearly <laughs> the other way around. And here's an active example of him getting mad for no reason about a good movie that he's too dumb to appreciate. Mm-hmm. And the director just being like, hey man, good to see you. You know, mm-hmm. just being a normal human. <laughs> it's it's very funny to me how Kevin continue has always uh, existed on the periphery of the big Hollywood superhero film. Like he's he keeps getting so close, but he's never gotten there. But people around him have because Ben Affleck oh. got to be Daredevil and he got to be Batman, and you know Tim Burton, who he hates, you know directed Batman. Like mm-hmm. he's got all these connections to these big franchises that he obviously loves but um you know kevin uh, now he's doing like uh his own batman episodes and writing and stuff like that oh well in comics sure Mm -hmm. but not yeah he'll never he'll never get near any batman movie (laughs) yeah Uh, not not on my watch he's he's too busy doing the goldbergs oh is is he doing that yeah well, um, the other thing that's relevant to that is that he mentions David Gordon Green's uh, burn of him, which was also exquisite. Like, which, which <laughs> uh, it was right at the beginning of the third part. I'm not even sure if he said the uh, David Gordon Green's name or not. He just said that he was the guy that directed this little movie called George Washington because mm-hmm. he was like a new director at the time. Yeah. And that was like, I think, his first movie. Uh-huh. And like and there was an interview with David Gordon Green where they asked him about Kevin Smith. And I think maybe they asked if he was influenced him by him or whatever, because he's such this big indie guy. And uh, and David Gordon Green, uh, the comment, what was it? It was something like um 
like it, yeah he ne he never really actually did anything to make the field any easier for uh you know struggling independent artists he just turned the world of indie he and he said he turned the world of indie film into a sort of special olympics <laughs> and kevin very convincingly pretends not to be upset by that mm -hmm. because he says he thinks the special olympics line is so funny that he can't even be mad about it but you know he wouldn't have even brought it up if he wasn't mad about it <laughs> Uh, the other part that I, I just remembered, because I remember there was one story that I used to watch uh, that I forgot about. And it's the um, Kevin Smith protests his own movie story. Oh, so boring. Uh, Who cares? That was definitely one of the worst ones because, number one, um, wasn't funny, wasn't very cool, wasn't very clever, and went on for so yeah. yeah. I, I I had heard the uh the talk show version of that story yeah, before. Yeah. But, and it was it's in that and then it was like a yeah, I went and protested the movie and they're mm -hmm. like, Hey, what are you doing here? You're the director. And he's like, Oh, we have to stop the movie. But and <laughs> that's like a decent laugh line yeah. or whatever. But that basic joke, which is a simple like setup. Uh, punchline kind of joke he extends into this whole story giving you every single detail of him going to this dogma protest and See, none of none of it is funny mm -hmm. it you get sucks. to hear him uh you get to hear him talk about building the sign and then getting the sign over oh there and how the guy is jealous of his sign and it's like what's yeah that? oh and another guy's sign was just on a cardboard yeah. box so that's a shitty sign i worked on my side and, and really to me it's like <laughs> There's really just one joke here. Mm -hmm. The joke is that you're protesting your own movie. Like <laughs> he also says, "Dogma is dog shit." That was yeah, another yeah. joke that he repeated. Oh, and a bunch she said, of "You have to, you have to censor that." And I said, "Oh, but I want to protest the movie." And yeah. people are eating out of his hand too. So that, yeah. like that's why it's kind of um, you. You definitely get where Kevin's way of speaking comes from if he's used to like. Just being in front of an audience and rambling and them laughing hysterically, like every single sentence. And just the oh, most giant the most crowds you've ever seen. Huge crowds. The, uh, the most like revealing thing to me is as a guy comes up who's clearly like not in that interested in Kevin Smith and is more interested in like making movies or whatever. Yeah. There's a couple guys like that. I don't know if he was one of them, but he asked like, oh, are like the things that happen in your movies, are they based on like your real experiences? And Kevin says no, and then goes on to explain that they actually are, but he doesn't say that. It's just like, oh, you just don't understand what that means? What the fuck? Oh, you write man. movies. That's your that's your job. How do you not understand He's that? He's so fucking yeah. weird. <laughs> He's like, well, they're based on things that happened to me, but like change them up to make them more exciting. I'm like, yeah, that's what a fucking movie is, <laughs> asshole. That like pissed me off so bad. I don't know why. It was an aggravating um, three and a half hours. The, the, the people that would get up asking questions, because this is also partially like a Q&A thing. Um... Very revealing and very interesting cast of characters. Uh, broadly, I'll say um, a lot of scumbags. <laughs> a lot. Oh of my god! <laughs> so many guys with that early two thousand stoner energy yeah. that is just 
awful, just a disgusting breed of hey, human. Hey, buddy, yeah, do you want to smoke with us? Do you want to drink with us after the show? Fucking guy named Geek who was like, can I suck mm-hmm. your dick? And then went on about that for like yeah, five yeah. fucking minutes. Kevin talked to at least three different uh, audience members about them sucking his dick for money. Yeah. And, and there are so many, like, there are so many, like, stoner guys who are, like, trying to be sly about, like, asking Kevin to toke up with them. And he either didn't get it or just wanted to turn it into a gay joke, you know? <laughs> There's a lot of, a lot of gay jokes. They're trying, like, they're, like, trying to use some subtle innuendo to be like, let's, I've got weed, let's smoke after the show. And he's be and he's being like, what, bro, you want to suck my dick or something? <laughs> Isn't it true that from what we know of Kevin Lore, that Kevin didn't start smoking weed until he was like hanging out with Seth Rogen or something? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. He was 38 years old. So he's just pretending to be a stoner at this point. Well, not really. He sounds like he's terrified. He doesn't come out and say that he doesn't smoke weed because I think yeah. he doesn't want to destroy the illusion for them. But he sounds like he's terrified of it. Mm-hmm. Like they talk, they talk about the, the one guy asked him about the high times cover where he's holding this huge tray of weed. And there's like, did you get to take that tray home, man? And he's like, oh no, I didn't even know it was real. I, when I, <laughs> I was there, I asked them like, so what do you use for this? And they're like, oh, what are you talking about? He's like, what, like the weed, like, what is it? And they're like, it's, it's weed, man. We're high times magazine. He's, and he's like, this is real weed. Like he's. Oh yeah. <laughs> I the fuck that. Out. yeah. He has this fear that's like from growing up in the suburbs around weed it seems and thinking that if he has any amount it's illegal and uh-huh. secondly uh and i knew a lot of people like that growing up um and secondly he said like he was about to say at one point uh that he he, he was like he was about to say like i've smoked uh, on i've smoked probably like less than like i could count on my two hands and then and then you can tell he doesn't want to seem uncool in front of college kids so he said <laughs> uh, i smoked on uh, uh less than like a lot of your hands yeah, because the, these are all stoner kids oh who are God. looking at him as some kind of stoner god. And, like, I think that's yeah. part of what's going on when all of those those kids are, like, trying to ask him to to get to get high with them where he's like kind of like freaks out like he's intimidated by these kids that smoke weed and he's yes. being like, oh, oh, what are you gay? Are you trying to be gay with me, bro? And it's like, oh, I'm cool. <laughs> You know, Glad Glad thinks I'm not cool with that, but I was just entertaining the idea of getting my dick sucked by you, so I'm I'm cool Uh, with that. Like, just diverting the topic into his weird gay stuff mm -hmm. to not have to face his even weirder fear of weed. Speaking of weird gay stuff, uh, Lena. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sure, yeah, go go for it. Because there is a part of this film that me and Valerie especially had to talk about. This is one of... I'm gonna say, like, out of all of this stuff I've worked, I've watched, this is one of the worst things. Yes. Like, this is one of the worst things Kevin has done, and I'm so pissed now. This... I'm, I despise this man so much. So, um, we got a girl who comes up to the mic, Leela. Yes, Leela, mm-hmm. and she does the very bold thing, and I really give kudos to her for yeah. it, of directly to Kevin Smith's face criticizing. Um, chasing Amy and saying that, you know, as, uh, I mean, at first I don't know if she admits that she's a lesbian. I feel like that might have been forced. Out. She doesn't. Kevin yeah. kind of, kind of yeah. pounds it out of yeah. her. She talks about growing up and having, um, chasing Amy be basically, um, 
a bad influence on the culture around her. And Kevin, Kevin basically gets this girl to come out in front of a fucking audience. Yeah. He's like, are you out? Are you, are you out? So are you out yet or whatever? And she's like, are you coming out here on the show? Yeah. Oh and she God. says like, and then he like is yeah. rude to her the whole time. Mm-hmm. And she's like, being extremely nice like if you're going to go confront somebody at their show which i do think that you should never do because it's never going to go well for you i agree Mm. i agree yeah she's being extremely nice and like wants to give him an out yeah and he does not take and she's and she's like a fan of him yeah and she says and she says she likes the movie and like she's uh clearly sympathetic to the criticism but also likes the movie and she isn't like trying she's clearly not trying to like take a strong stand against him like she's asking a pretty reasonable question which is to get a a response from him to this criticism that she seems to think is legitimate and and it's and that's fucking weird that he reacts so defensively, especially it's when he makes because first off, he makes jokes about like, oh, yeah, I made a science fiction movie. It's called Chasing Amy. Ask any lesbian. They'll tell you that. So it's like, OK, you're aware of you're sort of aware with the problems with mm-hmm. the movie, vaguely aware of it and willing to joke about it. But when someone actually presents the criticism in an articulate way, you like get super defensive and start giving all these insane explanations for why mm-hmm. the movie's not homophobic yeah. at all. <laughs> and the worst part yeah. is when uh, uh, at some point she says, oh yeah, the movie, it's not great, but it's harmless. And then the crowd just immediately turns on her and like starts making these yeah. bad noises. And Awful. And they're like, we're harassing her a little bit yeah. before that too. Yeah. It sucks. And then... Uh, Kevin's like, well, I wish we knew you when we were making a movie. We could have had that as the tagline. Uh, Stupid but harmless. A bi-curious girl from college. That was like so fucking terrible. She had had fully admitted to being a gay woman at that point. And he's Hmm. calling her bi-curious. Like she is, she is. Yeah. From what I could tell, an openly gay woman, but didn't. Yeah. But she didn't say that right away. And Kevin, as she was talking about chasing Amy, was just like, "Are you out? Like, why would you yeah, fucking and- ask someone that, you freak?" And uh, Kevin says something which is just like it's so revealing of the kind of person he is. Where, um, where he's like, "Oh, well, it's good. Everyone here knows you're gay. Like, maybe you can get like a, a date with a girl now or something." And he doesn't get that, like, part of the reason why she didn't say that she was gay when she got up to the mic was obviously she doesn't think the crowd is safe to be around. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, part of her point. And I think this actually drew such an interesting... Um, at first, I, I was like, oh, my God, girl, you, you really shouldn't be up there. This is a bad idea. Yeah. But it, it, it ended up um, revealing so much about the way Kevin Smith approaches his position as not just a... Um, celebrity but also as an artist that um she asks you know you know even if even if you feel a certain way don't you feel a responsibility when your fans are like like sexually harassing me or like you Mm -hmm. know don't you feel a responsibility if people watch your film and they take away um a homophobic interpretation and he basically just says like no you know i i you know i don't you know, it's not my responsibility how people are reacting. He doesn't see his art as having consequences that are worth like him paying attention to. He's 
in his mind, he's just doing a job and you're yelling at him, even though he completed the job. And that extends even to the way he handles his crowds where like, he doesn't really see it as a problem that a gay person wouldn't really feel safe at his show mm-hmm. because he doesn't feel a responsibility to be like creating a positive environment. As long as he's not like actively hateful, that's all that matters. Yeah. And he does like a very like Ben Shapiro ass logic about it with like the banky oh, shit. Yeah. Oh my oh, god. Oh god. <laughs> that's the worst. My personal like least favorite part of it is when he's he goes into he uses his bro his gay brother as a defense oh, oh he calls his like homophobic jokes and like stereotypical portrayals of like gay people and like just complete invisibility to bi people he, he and like transphobia and everything he calls all of that gay content that he puts in for his brother what the fuck is what that the- <laughs> yeah like he's throughout yeah. this thing he's you he's making all these like weird gay jokes that aren't really oh. funny they're all just like what if i was gay style jokes yeah and he says and he vocally expresses that as proof that like glad shouldn't be mad at him because (laughs) because i'm okay with saying gay stuff about myself so like Mm -hmm. how could i be homophobic and it's like Mm -hmm. dude you're but you're joking like it's not that's but also like the banky thing is so revealing so many so much stuff in this movie is revealing in a way that affirms stuff that we've said yeah. because 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 <laughs> i remember talking about chasing amy like i was so annoyed with that scene where banky was or throughout the movie where banky's being blatantly homophobic but in particular he voices the thing about like oh lesbians just want a good need a good dick or whatever and like he and he's saying that the movie can't uh, be affirming that awful, hateful view because he has this character who's clearly an idiot uh, say it in the in the movie. But that doesn't fucking work when the movie, when the actual events of the movie seem <laughs> to suggest that that character is right. And also, like he, I mean, Banky is the probably the most articulate and funny character in the movie, pretty much. Like, oh, yeah, it's, like it's supposed to be self-evident that he's some idiot because he's saying all this awful homophobic stuff. But mm-hmm. he expresses himself very well. He seems very smart, uh, like, even though he's kind of an asshole. Uh, and and then so then if he says that and then the movie kind of suggests that it's true, why would I take away the message that uh, that's not true? And he only thinks that because he's stupid. Also, Banky is like I, I kind of remember saying this in that episode, but Banky is right. Like for the whole movie, like he says something to Holden. And Holden's like, no. And then it turns out that Banky's correct. Yeah. I mean, Banky was right about Amy because she really is like not really a lesbian and does actually just want a man. So like, I mean, not Amy, whatever her name was in the movie. Uh, <laughs> oh. Amy is the, uh, the, the woman we don't see. But, um, but yeah, it's crazy to hear him say that out loud, that that's what he actually thinks yeah. because watching it, it's like, Oh, this idiot Kevin Smith thinks this is what he's doing. And yeah. And he'll mm-hmm. say it to defend the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just found his whole presentation. It was so, it was such a, it was such a fucking arrogant, like display of ignorance that he had up there. And also such a hostile way 
to treat one of his guests and one of his fans, mm-hmm. uh, really putting her in an uncomfortable and honestly, like, dangerous situation. I thought, like, all of it was, was fucking despicable, but also his views on um, on his films, like, uh, his views on Chasing Amy mm-hmm. and Banky and, and this girl. It was almost cathartic to hear someone be so blatantly honest about it because this is an attitude I think I see constantly right now. Um, And it's it's a really big issue for myself, you know, um, trying to talk about uh, political aspects of film that for a lot of people, it really just is, you know, uh, you know, we we put a gay we put a gay character in this movie, like, isn't that good enough for mm-hmm. you? Like that—that's—that's that's all that it is, and it becomes this weird numbers game of like, okay, we, you know, we just need to have you know x many of uh, this group's uh, identity uh, for it to be like politically positive or whatever. When that's not the case at all. Like, I don't need to see, uh, you know, I'm not desperate to see you know trans people in movies. I'm desperate to see like well written trans characters you know what i mean yeah i want to say that in a vacuum i agree with the argument that like a filmmaker isn't like responsible for anything that anyone would take away from the movie like because that uh, that kind of thinking gets wielded unfairly against you know people like tarantino or even scorsese like Mm -hmm. good good directors where people take a you know, or, or the red and honestly, uh, yeah, honestly, a lot of that's yeah, overblown yeah. with like Fight Club and The Matrix, where it's like, yeah, maybe there's there are probably some right wing weirdos who take some dumb message from the movie. But like most people yeah. know what it's about. But yeah, but people will use that criticism in very bad faith of filmmakers. Huh. So it's like I, I don't want to say that I think it's like generally true that a filmmaker needs to take responsibility of some ignorant fan takes the wrong message from their movie but in chasing amy it's like just look at the fucking text of the movie like the fact that kevin doesn't understand why that's the natural way to interpret it is because he's too stupid to analyze his own movie or his own mind but yeah yeah, that's also the the part that i want to point out is that like the reason why kevin doesn't see it is because he he is kind of homophobic (laughs) i think that's the thing you're kind of skirting around is that like as much as he thinks that like he's like super progressive or whatever he obviously carries a lot of very weird baggage around gay people and honestly just like um if you're if you're gonna be approaching uh, a, a sensitive like political subject like making a film specifically about the, uh, you know, basically sexual politics of lesbians and bisexual women. Um, you, you gotta do, you gotta do better than that. Mm-hmm. You gotta be ready for when people come at you and say like, look, you wrote about my community and I think you fucked up. Like, yeah. I think you portrayed us really badly. And, like it had already been five years. He could have just said like, look, I made that five years ago. I've learned a lot since then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think I would have done something differently. Yeah. And that's yeah. you would have gotten away with it. Mm-hmm. He, he, yeah. I, I, I also agree with you, Trev. I do often take the stance that, like, you know, um, you can't predict how people are going to receive art. But also, that doesn't mean that you get to be free from criticism, especially when it comes to um, uh, political subjects and and depicting groups that you don't belong to and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. The the way that Kevin responds is just such, like, a petulant, uh, arrogant reaction yeah his his response and explanation to the criticisms of the movie 
uh, are more damning even than the movie itself because it uh-huh. it it just affirms what anyone would have said critically about it, especially in his uh, his defense of the idea that he's responsible for any like uh, ignorant fans who like agree with Banky. His his solution to that is the fact that he ultimately made Banky secretly gay. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to teach an important (laughs) lesson to his homophobic fans. Really like, wow, all through this movie, I was agreeing with this guy who thinks these things about gay people, but he's actually gay. Does that mean that I'm gay? And the crowd (laughs) loved that. They were like, wow, great point, Kevin. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. And, and And they also loved it because the underlying thing is that that is that's like a homophobic yeah. trope too like because it's supposed to be this it's like almost like an ironic punishment like one of those uh like one of those fables or something like that like oh no like mm-hmm. you know i you know i've been cursed you know by my own wickedness you yeah. know i hated gay people and now i am a gay person yeah. like that's what that's what's underlying that um that particular trope mm-hmm. it's not it's not something which like um counteracts homophobia it it contributes to homophobia yeah, exactly. but also the whole closeted homophobia thing i i don't think generally the way that works is that men who are who are in the closet and self-hating that all their anger gets directed unreasonably towards lesbians mm-hmm. like i don't <laughs> yeah. really think that's i don't really think that's a yeah. he's friends guy. with the gay guy like he's yeah. friends yeah, with yeah. Them. he has no problem being friends with a gay guy yeah. it's it's just lesbians that he has this unnatural rage for for totally yeah. unexplained reasons and the fact that he's secretly gay is the reason for that i don't think that's a type of guy that's yeah. not even how the trope works. That's a straight guy thing, is to be furious at lesbians yeah, because it, you can't it, fuck that, them. it makes the whole thing about him being gay seem very unbelievable, because those are totally straight guy attributes, and the fans that uh, would agree with him probably aren't secretly gay. So that's the other thing. I don't know if I've mentioned this before about, about Kevin's uh, depiction of like gay people, but I think I was thinking about it more with this documentary, since he does make the weird comparison of saying... Like, you know, my brother's gay, so, you know, I thought I could write about lesbians. Weird, weird connection there. But also, when Kevin portrays, you know, gay guys, it's mostly in the frame of, isn't this the funniest thing in the fucking world that two dudes are kissing or or sucking each other's dicks? And then when it comes to lesbians, it's like, these mean, cold bitches will ruin your life. (laughs) There is no, even if he like sort of immaturely jokes about gay guys constantly, there doesn't seem to be any malice towards gay men, but but lesbians lesbians that actively (laughs) villainize, which almost makes me think, and this is a very dime store kind of psychoanalysis thing, but, (laughs) but based on that trend throughout his career and the context of chasing Amy, which he insists really isn't based on his real, life or whatever uh like i think kevin probably got his heart broken by a lesbian when he was very young and impressionable i doubt it's a true story at least the part where they actually dated and and all that stuff yeah before she broke his heart but like that's like his ideal 
yeah, yeah. Like resolution the, to the situation. Yeah. In this version of the story, he's he looks like Ben Affleck and he's cool. <laughs> and he has and he has a, a a friend who's also like another him, but it's the angry version of him that voices all his yeah. negative opinions. Um should be noted, you know, uh this is just one of those and there's, I, maybe we need a name for these. These just Kevin things that keep popping up. His repeated pathologies. Um, he once again insults Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. He does talk Ben up a little bit to be self-deprecating. Where the yeah. one, the thing where like Ben wanted him to write Daredevil, and he's like, "Me, you won an Oscar for writing, dude." Like, yeah, no, he pumps up Ben too. But I, I find it funny how how there's this constant. <laughs> <laughs> this constant weird pettiness with Ben yeah. and, and, and a few of his friends that comes out when we watch these like um, documentaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very uh, I don't I, I don't know what the I guess passive aggressive. Yeah, it's a, it's a very bitter. His claws really come out when it comes to the topic of Jason Muse, and oh, this yes. is oh, no. we had to get to this. Yet another yeah. thing we've talked about how this is a really important piece of the Kevin puzzle because it. It's so revealing and affirming about things that we've talked about in the past. But the Jason Muse stuff really confirms <laughs> a, a lot of stuff that I've Ooh, long yeah. suspected. Everything we watch that shows you some of their relationship just makes it even more blatant and more upsetting. It's very upsetting having stared into the void this mm-hmm. long and, and getting this like we're getting to this point now where I'm getting such a full picture of the, the Jason Mewes Kevin relationship and it's so upsetting. Yeah. It's so dark. It is like this one I it really brought it to a new low. Like every <laughs> single part of it just kept on going worse and worse. Like from the start where he makes it seem like um Jason Muse like overslept their flight to Wyoming. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. There's so many other ways you can do that that aren't like look at how much of a dumbass my friend is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what it, what it, what went on before this, but did Jason Mewes say like, oh yeah, it'll be great if you bring me up on stage and then like no, he did roast not. me, <laughs> like absolutely, and not. people scream fucking asshole. Yeah, like what the fuck was that? And, I felt like I was watching him be. I mean, I guess I was. I was watching him be publicly humiliated, but I couldn't tell like how he about it you know what i mean and jason muse is mic'd up this whole time people are asking questions about jason muse and kevin does not let him answer yeah. he just immediately answers for him uh-huh. yeah and it fucking sucks and the most insane thing to me is somebody asked like hey i heard you got busted for heroin mm-hmm. a week ago. yeah oh my yeah. god i couldn't believe i kept yeah. that whoever in. fucking edited that cut that out yeah, yeah. why would you put that in <laughs> yeah the fuck and he didn't of course it wasn't mm-hmm. true well I, I, it might have been true uh, <laughs> this this was, I believe, before Jason Mewes got clean and probably while their relationship was still a little bit strained yeah. because of it. Uh, yeah. Although I want to point out there's an interesting detail, which uh, I didn't remember that they used to be uh, straight edge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like really straight mm. edge. I didn't remember that stuff. I remember that vaguely because I used to listen to the podcast the two of them did uh-huh. before it just turned into like Kevin talking about fucking a lot. <laughs> there was some talk of how he of how uh, Jason Mewes was like really into Fugazi and stuff like that, which was <laughs> cool. And I wish that got more into the movies. One thing I do want to say about Jason Mewes is like some people who know me know that I have a very uh, rational hatred of maroon and red pants. <laughs> I think nobody's ever looked good in them. <laughs> 
Jason Mewes was wearing, wearing these like velvet maroon pants mm-hmm. and he was pulling them off. Never seen anybody else yeah. pull off maroon pants. He, Any men, I should say. He, um, but he nailed He it. looks so hot here. He did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was extremely <laughs> into it. He, he, he looked good. His energy isn't great, I think, because he probably wasn't exactly at a high point in his mm-hmm. life at the time. Yeah. But, uh, he, but he, he does, like, he does look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just didn't really have an opportunity to do any like any talking yeah, about it. Never let him. At one point, he does pretend the mic is like a dick. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. <laughs> and that's come on, folks. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Also, either someone asks, set, makes some joke about J- Jay being gay, or Kevin says he's gay or whatever, <laughs> and and Jason says like, uh, "I'm not gay. I love the pussy." <laughs> <laughs> and it's so it's so pure and real yeah. and a million times more convincing than any of the times Kevin Smith says that he that he loves the pussy. It's the best. Yeah. Thank God, uh, our savior, the one shining point in all of these films, even in this even in this shitty three and a half hour, you know, college talk. Uh, when Jason Mewes shows up, it does that, you know, it's significantly better, at least just like seeing him around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. He's so he he does feel like I don't know, mm-hmm. probably just like awkward being up there or something like that. But he does play off the crowd really well, even when they're being like super fucking rude mm-hmm. to him. Uh, he plays it off really well. There was a great he- moment where like, um, uh, where Kevin was going off on one of his Muse stories, and he said like it took. 14 takes and Jason was just like 12. Oh no, 14 takes. Heaven <laughs> forbid. Like what the fuck, dude? You, That's not that many. You're a professional. Grow up. Um th- there was also a very uh, a very sweet story um because Jason Mewes can be sweetie sometimes where uh Jason Mewes found out that he was going to be acting with Alan Rickman. He didn't know who he was. Uh he had to be told as the guy from uh Die Hard. Um but then uh, Jason Mewes, who had Kevin had just been making fun of for not remembering his lines or whatever. Uh, Jason Mewes went home and like memorized not only his lines but, like other people's lines. Every because... single line yeah. in the movie, yeah. according to Kevin. Yeah, he, he was like, you know, uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to disappoint, you know, Alan Rickman. I wanted to do a good yeah. job, <laughs> so, and I thought that was great. Well, Kevin, he he says it was for Alan Rickman, but Kevin also has a documented history of expecting actors to memorize his entire script, oh, no. or or else he will oh, no. uh, cut them out of the movie and hold a grudge against them forever. So <laughs> there might have been some pressure. Uh, the the the, ve- the very revealing thing to me that uh, fu- like everything we were fucking talking about with the Jane Simon Bob reboot documentary, he said. Uh, someone, I don't know, someone asked him like whether he's like uh, hard on Muse on the set or whether he's strict with him or something like, God, the way the, the Kevin has created this culture among his fans where they just feel so entitled to disrespect him and yeah. mock him, which is disgusting. But so but anyway, Kevin says like, yeah, you know, I am very dictatorial on the set and I uh I, th- and I think he said he said I'm especially guarded uh, with this one, which like I, I, between that and the thing about him, like complaining about Jason doing 14 takes or whatever, <laughs> I it really feels like this dude is such a controlling, demanding prick to muse <laughs> on the set all the time, you, you know, like 
And then I think back on, you know, we hear about stories that I'm sure came from Kevin about how difficult it was making Jane and Bob strike back because Muse Uh was so strung out on heroin. Uh, but how much of that was just Kevin being a fucking asshole and <laughs> not like be being able to communicate well with him, you know? And it's like, uh, yeah, no, it's not great if your your lead actor's on heroin all the time. It's uh, terrible. You probably sh- maybe should be thinking since he's also allegedly your friend, maybe you should prioritize his. Uh, well-being over yeah, your need to make a yeah. fucking movie with him exactly. but but also how, how much of that was him really fucking it up because of his drug problem and how much was kevin just being a dictatorial director yeah. and giving him shit constantly uh, there's a, a very interesting um uh, part of me a little bit sad when jason is talking about making um playing Jane, the different movies and talking about how the first one was basically natural. And then he had to like, you know, learn to play Jay, the character and like snoochy boochies and all this stuff. I found it very sad, like really realizing that Jay came in and the reason why he's so good in the original clerks is because he comes in with something that's purely authentic. That is like just true to himself. And, um, and Kevin takes it and turns it into a caricature, which then Jay has to play and really struggles mm-hmm. with because it's not him, but it's also kind of supposed to be him. And it's how everyone sees him. Yeah. Now. yeah. And you go from Clerks, right, to Mallrats, where Kevin just puts <coughs> a bunch of fucking Star Wars and comic book huh. jokes in Jay's mouth that don't mm-hmm. sound yeah. like things he would even talk about. Yeah, exactly. But like, no. he clearly just had no idea how to actually write for this character that Muse uh-huh. basically created. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely Muse's creation. And I think it's, uh, I think it's a sign of a real lack of... Uh, um, intuition to not even notice um, the the value of of Jay and the value of what Jason Muse is bringing and not try and accommodate it more because whenever Kevin talks about these productions it's like Jason Muse is a burden when Jason Muse is the most valuable person mm-hmm. that yeah. Kevin has and if he recognized that and also if he fucking respected him a bit more as a friend uh, he probably just be getting treated a lot better and these movies would be a bit more designed around how he wanted to approach them or he wouldn't be in them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He kind of wants to have it both ways and it doesn't work like that. He saw the value of Jason Mewes in the form of big dollar signs that appeared in his eyes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. For sure. Something else about it is that like this was one of the ones while Jay was there now like just like him telling stories about Jay when he was off on his own but kevin was saying like when someone asked like how does jay say stuff like that and he's like oh you see jay he doesn't really like understand the things he says and that's why he's so uh. offensive and it's, it makes him sound like he's like a puppy dog and that like yeah. like yeah he he does say like some like offensive stuff and like clerks and stuff but like <sighs> you don't have to put this like shield around it by being like oh well he doesn't understand anything he doesn't understand homophobia he doesn't understand these concepts he's actually a baby yeah it's just it's the same as the banky thing Mm -hmm. where it's like because he doesn't have any fucking artistic integrity he 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 can't he can't like 
uh, uh, try to imply uh, any kind of uh, complex relationship with these like offensive ideas. He has to purely compartmentalize it to a character that he insists is too stupid. <laughs> so it's like, I'm allowed to have that stuff in my movie as long as the character is a stupid guy mm -hmm. who doesn't know yeah. any better. Just sort of denying the, the humanity of of the characters who say offensive things as and an out friends. for yourself yeah as, as an out for yourself when you're the one who wrote those jokes that you thought were funny and they came from your brain because they're actually a reflection of what you believe but you can't really admit that mm -hmm. yeah it's uh, his writing style is just like so fucking didactic that it's um it's hard to even discuss um, stuff like what Banksy, like what Helen said, Banksy. Banksy. So then Banksy <laughs> says, you know, it's hard to even really describe it, describe it in those really nuanced, like our, our, our critic terms, because ultimately, you know, it's not like Banksy is saying those things because you know Kevin wants to um, characterize this guy who's like flawed and homophobic and all that. He's saying it because he needs those ideas in the film yeah. because that's kind of. Yeah, the, what the mm -hmm. film is about. There could be interesting conversations to be had about, like you know, um, Jay and the original clerks, and uh, if uh, if if the if his particular worldview, you know, if that's ethical to put on screen, I I think it is. Um, but I think there's actually stuff you could talk about there because Jay is a great fucking character, and a lot of the offensive shit he says is actually like either really funny or just like adds a lot to who he mm -hmm. is. Um, but you can't have that conversation with a character like Banky because because Banky is clearly just a side of him. <laughs> like yeah, Bank it's just Kevin like, talking to the yeah, audience. Like Holden and Banky <laughs> are like two sides of Kevin Smith, basically. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty obvious, but he can't huh. uh, he can't admit that mm -hmm. uh, yeah. because he uh, can't actually reckon with the yeah. fact that he has those feelings. <laughs> so he has you know, to like uh, be like, oh, this is an external character that I made that has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. a, a good comparison would be like Aaron Sorkin and uh, the West Wing. Like those characters, you know, if Aaron Sorkin were, were ever to say like, oh no, you weren't supposed to listen to what Josh was saying about American <laughs> politics, you'd be like, bullshit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know that every single character is just a mouthpiece, you know, they are just telling the audience correctly. Like, mm -hmm. And, and there was one question even where someone asked about his writing style and he was like, well, I read a book about about writing and, and the book said th that you're supposed to have your books have your ideal conversations. And and he said that that influenced him. Horrible advice. And, yeah, whatever that book is, I want to like uh, find that that writer and just like throw away his computer and say mm. never write a word yeah. again. Yeah, that's something that you write like after uh, you watched Reservoir Dogs for the first mm -hmm. time. You're like, this shit's so easy. <laughs> the one thing in this whole uh, thing the, the, that's actually like a, a funny anecdote. Uh, that Kevin has is the spider story. Mm -hmm. And of course he ruins it by droning on and on and giving all these details mm -hmm. that go nowhere and have nothing to do with it. But basically yeah. the story is that while he's working on a script for Superman lives, he meets with this weirdo producer on the movie who has all these dumb ideas about Superman, John Peters, and John Peters and John Peters big thing is that he really wants 
uh, Superman to fight a giant spider. Mm-hmm. And his reason for that is that spiders are like the most dangerous predators in the animal kingdom or some shit like that. The and most dangerous insect, he said. It was in the, yeah, it, and they're not even insects, but whatever. Um, and, and, and a lot of the stuff with that guy is really funny. And like, it seems pretty clear that Kevin was just totally deferential to this guy and willing to write whatever he wanted. Mm -hmm. But you know, he's telling the story like this producer guy's so weird, has all these weird ideas. So Kevin is developing like his, that guy's version of the script, which is like, uh, you know, a giant spider and polar bears and stuff. And then Tim, Bur- as we said, Tim Burton comes in and the- Kevin's off the project because Tim Burton wants his own guys <laughs> writing it. And, 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 and but then the, the punchline to the story, which comes maybe 45 minutes into him telling <laughs> Yeah, it, at least. It's so funny. The punchline is that like a couple years later, he's watching Wild Wild West, which John Peters also produced. And sure enough, in the third act, there's a giant spider. <laughs> Oh wait! Did they say I stopped paying attention after a while to that story because I'd heard it a few times? Does he mention that part? The the, well, I mean, the concept of the giant spider. Yeah, it's clearly that's clearly the implication is that um, that 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 producer is just so obsessed with giant spiders he was going to get it in a movie one way or the other. Yeah, that was. But um, and that giant spider in Wild Wild West. Is sick. It's cool. <laughs> that that John Peters. Yeah, the right idea. Honestly, he's a cool guy. He just shouldn't have been yeah. doing Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, give him <laughs> some shit no one cares about, like Wild Wild West, and let him have his fun. Uh, but all, uh, the the very last thing I wanted to mention, just because it's a funny little bit of interest to some of us, is that Ke- Kevin Smith says that he really likes The Sopranos and would love to guest star on it sometime <laughs> because yeah. it's set in Jersey and he's a Jersey guy. And the, Yeah, I wonder why he was never asked. The idea of Kevin Smith being on The Sopranos, like... <laughs> They should have put him in the video game. I, I can't. I can't see Kevin Smith being anyone on The Sopranos other than some random suburban idiot who's the victim of yeah. a crime that you see for like five seconds. But, that would rock. But, obvi- but obviously, like they'd rather just use a no-name actor for that. Why would you want Kevin Smith in it at all? Mm-hmm. And he also says that he wants to be on The Simpsons, which of course is a dream that came true 18 years later. So congratulations, Kevin. You finally Congrats. did it. Congrats, Kev. Congrats to the Kevs, man. <laughs> but with that, uh, we should proceed to Kevin's receipts. And I believe Valerie brought us another exciting Kevin tale to mm-hmm. share with the class. Um, yeah, so this one is a third-hand story that I have um, from a friend. Um, <laughs> Whatever it is, I believe it. I have a friend who lives out in California, and a friend of theirs worked at this coffee chain called Coffee Bean. And Kevin Smith was a regular there where every morning he was just high out of his mind and he would always order, this was pre-heart attack, he would always order a glass of milk. Just a glass of milk? Whoa, that's That's so fucked. What? Fucking, you can just just have milk in your house, you freak. (laughs) What? Like you, you, I get it if you're like a child and you want something because you're a child and you're with your mom. Like I used to work at a coffee shop and I would like steam up some milk for kids, but you're an adult man. That is insane. Like that's terrifying. It, 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 it's so funny that after having a heart attack, 
Kevin Smith is like, oh, I had to become a vegan because for my, for health purposes. So I would be and it's like maybe you just don't need to be constantly drinking glasses of milk in your 40s. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, God, God, I God, walking God, into a cafe and just seeing Kevin Smith sitting there drinking yeah. just a glass yeah. of milk. I mean, God bless anyone who uh, wants to be a vegan. That's great. Like everyone should do it, of course. But it's like it's so funny that it's like. You know, he has to go so far in the opposite direction. And before he's just drink, <laughs> just casually drinking milk like a child. Now he does the same thing, but it's it's oat milk. If you're, yeah, if you're fucking getting high <laughs> at your house, you can just have tons of milk in your fridge and drink all the milk you want. You're going out to Coffee Bean high out of your <laughs> mind and paying like four or five dollars for a, pl a plastic uh, cup full of milk. What is the matter with you? <laughs> That's terrifying. That's how like you show someone's a villain in a movie is you make them just like sit down and just drink a glass of milk straight. Yeah, that's true. Like the Nazi and Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, or a uh, uh, <laughs> uh, Homelander on The Boys has a whole yeah. Milk thing. Yeah. It's yeah. like a fetish thing with him. Yeah, Great yeah, show, that's true. Um, yeah, that is very revealing of <laughs> the type of guy kevin is That's yes terrifying i I, be I believe it fully uh very frightening i god i hope he doesn't listen to this because finding out that we're making fun of a guy who just sits and drinks a glass of milk <laughs> uh, in a cafe i mean i'm a little scared now <laughs> oh no yeah liable to hey, do something. Well, you saw the 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 movie <laughs> of his life the, the our namesake i mean like we know uh <laughs> we know he's yeah, had a rough past so you don't want to push him too far <laughs> kevin if you're listening please stop also this is an entertainment <laughs> product we're all playing characters this is a parody a uh a none of what we're saying is bit. real we're actually big fans mm -hmm. please don't <laughs> yeah especially trevor He's seen every one of your movies. Please don't hunt us down like Jay and Silent Bob and beat us all up like the mean critics on the internet. We know you want yeah. to, but we're not mean. We're actually good people, and you should give us money. It is very funny that Kevin Smith lives in, like, you know, the same jersey that uh, The Sopranos is being shot in. Like, like when all this stuff is going on. He doesn't on. live there. He <laughs> used to live there. Yeah, but, but I, I just mean that, like, the idea of... The movie jersey girl like being in the same place right. and probably even around the same time as the sopranos is just like very funny very funny to me asbury park which figures prominently into dogma the that uh um kurt gave us a little bit of the history of on that episode is also a, a major location in the sopranos it's where um oh, really uh, you see it a couple times, but most notably, it's the one the where Tony's dream uh, in the one the episode where they spoiler kill Big Pussy. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, wait, there's a character spoiler. named Big Pussy. That was a yeah, fast yeah, dude. Watch, watch, watch the show. So, sorry if you didn't know, know that Pussy dies in season two. It's <laughs> been like tw it's been twenty years. Watch the show already. Uh, but yeah, the the first dream he has where he's talking to all the guys and he lights himself on fire is a, is oh, at, yeah. at Asbury Park, and it's like at the time, like during Dogma, it looked very kind of decrepit and run down, which was why I think they chose it for that scene. So that's a Kevin connection right there. They're really cut from the same cloth. Yeah, Kevin and Big Pussy.
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kevin and David Chase, they grew up together. They're next door neighbors. They went to school together. They watched all the same movies together. Yeah, I mean, Chase is a little bit older than him, so he might have like been a, a senior while Kevin was a sophomore. <laughs> but, you know, they're all kids from the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, uh, this has been We Need to Talk About Kevin. We talked about Kevin. Hey, uh, <laughs> check out uh, Valerie's uh, le- Letterbox. Mm-hmm. What, what do you want people to check out? Uh, yeah, just my Letterbox and Twitter. Uh, both stealing Valerie. Yeah. And I, I have a, I have a quick thing. Look, uh, uh, I'm also, I've also been doing some more uh, written reviews and essays lately. So if you want to check out uh, on my Twitter, it's my pinned tweets on my Patreon. Um, I just did a review of. Starship Troopers, which is one of my favorite films, and I'm doing it. Uh, I'm kind of doing double feature reviews. So um, this time I'm doing Starship Troopers this week, and next week uh, for my patrons, I'll be doing Showgirls. So you can check that out uh, on my Twitter or my Patreon. Nice. And I'm Trevor Combo on Twitter. That's yeah. that. Trevor got married and he took his wife's mm-hmm. name. Yeah. Did we talk? Did we talk about this already? I'm I ma- think I'm we married, already made that. I'm married to New York City yeah. Councilwoman Lori Combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both disapprove of all rioting yeah. and looting, and that's kind of how we. Yeah. That's kind of how we bonded and, uh, bonded and started our long distance relationship, which is now a long distance marriage. Yeah. <laughs> they exchanged e rings in a um, yeah. uh, EverQuest online. <laughs> I'm not allowed to live with her yet. It's very important to her that I pay, that I pay my own way. Uh, someday I hope to move to New York and finally see her in person once I can afford to. But, uh, you know, she's all about <laughs> personal responsibility. So she's not going to let me be a freeloader, which is one of the many things I respect about her. She's a fine woman. Trevor, may I just say that I, until this point when I didn't realize that, I, I thought it was just like some like... A joke about Columbo where his name is actually just Combo. <laughs> That's a pretty good joke, though. That's a pretty good joke. I did actually do. Let's end the pod. The night was done!